Hello and welcome back to Basic Bible 102. I'm Margie Smith and today we are covering Lesson 20, which pretty much dwells on the Last Supper. This is part of the first module of the Life of Christ for Basic Bible 102. Today we are going to look at the final week of Jesus' life. And it begins with a little talk that Jesus has with his disciples. If you remember last week, three of his disciples, James, Peter, and John, were up on the mountain with him when the transfiguration took place, when Jesus was shown in all his glory. And it was quite amazing to these three. But now we, he's with all of his disciples again, and he's preparing to go to Jerusalem. Um, but it begins with him in Caesarea Philippi. And this is just, remember he's been in the area of Galilee where he's primarily been preaching. And so just north of the Sea of Galilee, there was a town called Caesarea Philippi. And it is there that he begins to his walk towards Jerusalem. So let's begin with Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So Jesus is admitting to his disciples that he's the Christ. They pretty much knew this. And it's not like Jesus kept it a secret. But he did not want widespread uh, rumors getting out that he was the Christ. because, And we'll see here in just a short while why that is. So here we see Jesus uh, basically commissioning Peter to um, oversee his church. And he gives them the keys of the kingdom that um, whatever Peter, when he preaches the gospel, those who receive it and come to know um, the gospel and accept Jesus as their savior, uh, the kingdom is theirs. That's the key to the kingdom. And those who reject it, then they are rejected in heaven. All right, let's look a little bit further down in this verse, beginning with or finishing with 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Obviously, Peter took it to heart his new commission. Uh, he says, Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, 
life for me will find it. So here, of course, Jesus is admitting that it's, he's going to his death, and the disciples don't like this at all. It's especially Peter. He says, no, I will never let that happen. And yet, what is Jesus' response to Peter? It's, get behind me, Satan. In other words, Jesus knew that there would be those who would try and talk him out of his purpose. But he was set on what the Father had told him would have to happen. And so he does not uh, let Peter distract him from that mission. And so the disciples with Jesus head to Jerusalem. Turn down to John uh, 12, verses 12 through 19. And it says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd was, that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Obviously, it appears that Jesus has uh, wooed the people to the point where they want to make him king. They meet him at the entryway. There's a great procession where Jesus is coming in on a, a donkey. Not a great white horse, but a low, meager uh, colt of a donkey. And people are putting their, uh, waving these palms, uh, palm leaves and putting them before him so that Jesus could walk, more or less like rolling out the red carpet. And yet the disciples are watching all of this and probably a little bit proud because they're Jesus guys. But the flip side is they don't realize that because of all of this, Jesus has become a target, a big target for the Pharisees. And they know, hey, we've got to end this because the Romans are going to hear about it and they're going to come down upon us. Do you see what Jesus, uh, the people chant as Jesus comes into Jerusalem? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna means to save or savior. And the people were looking to Jesus as their savior. In fact, um, Zechariah 9.9 proclaimed that the king who would save Israel would enter Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey. So just as it was prophesied, and the people are well aware of this prophecy, and they are honoring Jesus as the soon-to-be king of Israel. Now, Jesus has no intention of becoming an earthly king, and he's told his disciples that he's going to die. Yet, there's such hysteria about Jesus, such hope, and partly because of that he raised Lazarus from the dead, and a lot of the people that heard about that saw that as a miraculous sign that he is the, the Christ. And yet, as much as they want to exonerate Jesus, um, we see that Jesus is backing away from that. Further on in that same chapter, verse 23, it says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will, will keep it in, for eternal life. Whoever serves me... 
must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus is saying, you know, I know that you want me to be the king, but if you want to serve me, you're going to have to follow the same path that I'm about to take. And he knows he's going to be killed. And yet the disciples still have a sense of um, just refusing to believe that denial. So the next day, after they've been in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus goes to the temple, as was his custom. He certainly didn't hide from the Pharisees or the spiritual leaders of the time, the rulers. Um, Look back in Luke 19, and let's start with verse 45. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. So obviously Jesus is well-loved at this point, and he goes into the temple and, and clears it out of all the money changers. Now, one thing we know from this is that the the Religious leaders made it uh, possible or actually almost um, necessary for when people came to the temple to sacrifice their offering, the lambs, that they would should bring a spotless, blameless lamb. Well, if you travel to Jerusalem any distance and you're were bringing your lamb with you, that lamb probably got dusty, dirty, maybe hurt, injured. And so it was not really fit to be considered an offering. So instead, they would just sell um, offering lambs. And I've heard that Bethlehem was known as the city where they grew uh, or raised these lambs for the offering. And so here um, the people are you know, coming to the temple to worship and to have their sins forgiven with the sacrifice of the lamb. And yet they're being um, forced to pay high prices for these lambs, so much so that Jesus is angered. He's thinking, I want my house to be a house of prayer, not one where you just come in and basically uh, squeeze out of the people every last time. We see that Jesus is there every day teaching in the temple. And every day the Pharisees and and the religious leaders are getting more and more angry about it. Uh, And partly because Jesus refers to them as snakes, as a brood of vipers. Um, Let's look down at Matthew 26, 1 through 5. And it says, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At this, I'm sure the disciples were thinking, what? Two days? Uh, But the chief priests and the elders of the people were assembling already in the palace of the high priest. Uh, The high priest's name was Caiaphas. And they were plotting to arrest Jesus in some sly way because they knew they couldn't do it out in front of the people. The people would not stand for it. There would be a riot. Okay, look a little bit, they do get very clever with this, and so look a little bit further on this passage down in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So Judas, who was one of his twelve disciples, one of his closest followers, uh, has agreed to betray him. 
Okay, back in chapter 11 of the book of John, we see that the uh, Pharisees and, and Sadducees um, get together with the whole Sanhedrin and they come up with a way to um, deal with Jesus. Now, at first, there's all this discussion about, well, what can we really do with Jesus? But look down in verse uh, 47. Uh, in fact, we'll start back in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Okay, so that refers back to Lazarus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees uh, called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are, they, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miracles. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our palace and our nation. Then one of them, Caiaphas, which we mentioned, who was high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Do you see how that's almost a, a prophecy as well, kind of a foreshadowing of what will happen? Uh, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the, that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved around publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Okay, so they're not far from this area, and they're, and Jesus can no longer uh, show up in the temple every day because they have planned his, his death, and it's imminent. So why do you think that Judas agreed to betray Jesus? And in, in general, it is thought that he was one of the zealots, one of the ones who really believed that Jesus was going to be the, the next king right here and now on the earth um, over Israel. So Judas may very well have said, hey, that's not what I signed up for. I want him to be the leader here and now. And so since Judas kind of was in charge of the money as well, we see inklings of his um, desire to be selfish very much selfish. And when Jesus tells them, you must uh, give away your life, uh, take up your cross and follow me, that's not something he's willing to do. And we can understand why people are hesitant to say, I'm not giving up my life for Jesus, partly because they cannot see beyond the here and now, the physical. And that was probably the case with Judas. Uh, turn now to Matthew 22. Now, remember, the Pharisees are looking for a way to trap Jesus so they can have an excuse for crucifying him. But crucifixion, of course, the death penalty, you needed a pretty big, major uh, sin, fault, uh, wrong that you have done, crime, for you to be considered worthy of death. Uh, so let's look at Matthew twenty-two fifteen, And we see the Pharisees coming and trying to trick Jesus again. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him, along with Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men, because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
And Jesus, of course, you know, he's, uh, he knows it's a trap. He sees it uh, very well. You see how they kind of butter Jesus up? We know you don't care about what people think. You know, you're following your father, more or less. Uh, but look in verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. Then he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. The rest of this chapter in Matthew, they are trying to trick Jesus one over one or more um, infractions that um, are not particularly popular with the people. You know, the people did not like paying taxes. And so I'm sure they thought, well, if Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes, the people will still love him, but the the Caesars, uh, the rulers of Rome will not. And so Jesus just very easily says, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. And so it, it confounds them and they have to come up with something else. To remember a few lessons back where Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath and they take great care in uh, interviewing the man and trying to find out what was going on here because they considered healing on the Sabbath uh, like that happened so often. But nonetheless, it was breaking the rules of the Sabbath. So this that's also one of the things they're going to use to try and uh, show that uh, Jesus has actually, he's not from God because if he was, he wouldn't be breaking the Sabbath rules. In your homework, you were um, assigned to read John 13, 1 through 17. And which is all about the Last Supper, the when the disciples come together and they um, celebrate the Passover meal together. Uh, it's also recorded in Matthew 26, and I'm going to read it from that passage, beginning in verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointment time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as, as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus said, Yes, it is you. So I don't know if he said that in front of the others or if he just whispered it to Judas. But either way, Judas got the message plain and clear and took off shortly after this. So this is when Jesus then takes the bread and breaks it and says, This is my body broken for you. Uh, take and eat in remembrance of me. And so they know that his body is going to be broken. And then he takes the cup that they have all been, you know, several drink glasses of wine have been uh, passed around by this time. And so he takes the cup and he gives thanks and he offers it to them and saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for many. 
for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine now, from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. As you know, most churches, Christian churches, still celebrate the what we call communion, uh, the sharing of the bread and the wine as a reflection of Jesus' death and of his blood that was spilt. We didn't cover it, but as they come into this room for the Passover, Jesus uh, gets down on his knees and takes a towel and a bowl of water and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And of course, they're like, no, you're the master. We're, you, you shouldn't be washing our feet. But he says, no, this is, you know, this I will do for you, and you are to do this for others. So there's also a servant quality. Up until this time, we've seen Jesus, the teacher, the miracle worker, the famous one, the Messiah to come. And now we're seeing him as the servant, the humbled man on a donkey, the uh, the one who is being betrayed. We see that uh, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. We see that the disciples swore they would never betray Jesus. One of them, Judas, has already done it, but eventually they will all desert him. And next week, we will look at what Jesus, uh, after this, Jesus goes to the garden to pray. And so we will look at the disciples' response when the the, uh, soldiers show up to arrest Jesus. But before that, I want to cover some of what Jesus prayed in the garden and how he prayed for his disciples. So that is for next week. And if you will take the time to prepare, um, read Matthew 26, the rest of it, Mark 14 and 15, Luke 22 and 23, and then John 14 through 19. Uh, That's an awful lot to read. Also, if you will take the time to look at John 17, that's going to be the heart of what we'll talk about as we lead up to the crucifixion. As always, I appreciate your faithfulness, encourage you to do the readings and do the homework, and prepare for the final by reviewing some of what we have covered already. In the meantime, be blessed.